Welcome back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland, and I'm delighted to be coming back to you another week. My guest this week is the best-selling author, uh, uh, creator of the online course and podcast Dare to Be Seen, Elisa DiNapoli. Elisa, welcome, and what's your bliss? Hello, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Well, my bliss, predictably, is uh, around playing music and performing. And uh, I really like um, songwriting as well, but it's all obviously connected. So uh, just coming up with a story um, to sing or play about and then sharing it with an audience. Awesome. Well, let's talk about how, how you got into that. What is your background with performance and, uh, and music specifically? But where, where did that come from? Where did that love start? Well, I think it started when I was very young and I started writing little poems for my mom, you know, when I was like six years old. And um, I wrote stories at school. And at first, you know, it was just came easy to me, but also, you know, if the teacher wanted me to, to write a story, I was delighted. Um, I found that, that it was something that I was good at and I kept, of course, doing it more. Also, the music part uh, came from watching cartoons as a young child and wanting to be the singer of the, uh, the, the song, you know, that happens just before the cartoon goes goes on um, live. And so I recorded with my little tape recorder all of the songs of the cartoons and thought, oh, I want to be a cartoon singer when I grow up. <laughs> and then luckily, you know, I'm, I'm glad I didn't become a cartoon singer. I, I really don't think it's me. But um, at one point uh, when I was, I think I was around 16, I um, two things happened. One was that I watched the Dead Poet Society movie and fell in love with the whole idea of even more of poetry. Uh, but on the other hand, I also uh, watched a performance at school of uh, Maybe I'm Gonna Leave You uh, by someone who was doing a Led Zeppelin cover, cover. And I thought, wait a minute, basically songs are like, poetry with music and uh, what, if, what if I do that? Um, so it all started with composition and, uh, and, and just being en entranced by other people's poetry and music. And then slowly I got into um, having enough confidence to write my own songs when I was around 18. But the performance side didn't come easily to me at all for many years. In fact, I was terrified. <laughs> yeah. That is an eclectic start to your storytelling journey for sure. And the I, I love that it just kind of, it cycled until it really kind of fit. And like you said, that you were also able to put those pieces together of music is poetry just set to a rhythm and a, and a tone that's that's a little different with, with some background accompaniment. Um, and then you mentioned that it wasn't always, uh, you know, the, the actual performance piece wasn't coming easy for you. Why do you think that the storytelling and the, the composition came a little easier than the performance itself? Um, I guess because I was always quite shy and mm. I afraid of, of rejection, very sensitive. I was a very sensitive child. And, um, and so, you know, writing a song or writing a poem, uh, well, 
no one has to see it so it doesn't matter um you're doing it for yourself but when it it the time comes for uh performing it well now you're showing your innermost self to everybody or at least you think you, you that's what you're doing yeah. and so then it comes fraught with fear of rejection you know it's very a vulnerable thing to do and um and so that's why i was i was terrified the first time that that I uh, played on a stage uh, was at school and I remember just freaking out my uh, I had this paper in front of me and and it was just kind of shaking and I didn't I didn't do a fantastic job either because you know if you are in that stage you can't actually connect to the music which is a whole point you know of why you're doing this in the first place yeah absolutely how do you think you have been able to eliminate some of that and and what are ways that we can eliminate some of that anxiety or at least limit it to you know perform what we need to well it took a long time and a long journey of discovery you know at first i just thought oh well i'll just push through it you know i'll i'll make it work yes it happens to everybody just just get on with it get over it you know um but that didn't really work at all i got worse actually um you know i would i would have not panic attacks but uh but you know i would really freak out before a gig i would worry a lot and and for many years i didn't really know what to do i didn't do anything i tried you know drinking a bit of wine and that really didn't work. I would forget my lyrics even more once I, I had to run out of a of a pub in the middle of a song because just I would just went blank. And I was like, uh, uh, what's the next score? I, I forgotten my song that I played like a million times before. And you know, and then I, you know, I tried um to to get uh, some beta blockers because uh, I I heard that they were good um, and that kind of worked but it was so weird it was like I was playing I was looking at myself playing I was so distanced from yeah. the music it was robotic and I didn't feel the music at all so that wasn't much fun and um, and then you know I tried uh, acting classes because I thought well. You know, maybe if I do that, then I'll get better at it. And sure enough, um, you know, I learned improv. I, I learned how to be more present in the moment, but it didn't completely, you know, cure me. Um, and then I basically was like, okay, well, obviously, you know, I'm not cut out for this. This isn't, I'm just not good enough. Uh, I, don't, I don't have what it takes. And I, oh, I, I was very close to giving up. And um but then I, it just occurred to me, I thought, wait a minute, you know, maybe, maybe the reason why I don't know how to do this is that I don't have a model. Like, I don't know what a performer that enjoys being on stage actually feels like when they are on stage, when they look like they are enjoying the music and, and feeling really free. So I need to understand, I need to know what it's like. I need to get into their heads. And then I thought, wait a minute like I do this for a job you know like people come to me with a problem and I basically model the solution to them I I show them what it's like to be in a healthy kind of um way of thinking or behaving and I have no idea about this just because this is my problem so I'm kind of blind to it so then I thought 
Well, maybe um, I have to say probably your listeners don't know this, but I, you know, I, I'm, I've been a hypnotherapist for a long time as well as a coach, and I was treating other people with hypnosis. So I thought, well, maybe I should ask a colleague. You know, I mean, it's such an obvious answer, but it just didn't come to me for such a long time because I was blind to to it. And uh, and that's when things started shifting, you know, because I had a, a few sessions with this other hypnotherapist and he did exactly that. He showed me that there was, you know, what the kind of mindset for it was. And it was all about enjoyment, being in the moment, connecting to the music, forget it, forget about judgment and all of that, right? And so then to cut a long story short, what, what happened after that is that I thought, okay, obviously there are ways to get over this. I should study all the possible ways to do with hypnotherapy um, since this is my field uh, that this may work. So I did that and I started using these techniques on other people. So it actually did work. And then I thought, okay, continue to do this on myself and you know, and then the rest is history. I just decided then to share it in a book and a course and all the rest of it. Because, you know, to be honest with you, if if I had had that help 25 years ago, I would probably be in a different place now. I'd be a much better performer to start with. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you mentioned that you felt like the answer was so obvious, but you weren't able to to, to grasp it or to, to think about it. And um, I, I mean, I think it's great that you tried a bunch of different things and you tried, you know, to, to figure it out. You tried to add some skills to your repertoire that may have helped with that. Things like acting and improv. And find these different ways to find stage presence already doing to help other people. And why wouldn't I apply it to myself? And I think that that's a really like wonderful thought to, to have, <laughs> to have had. I'm curious if you feel um, in, in researching for this um, episode, one of the things I found was um, from the National Institute of Health. And there's a, an article that was published a few years ago that talks about that anxiety, performance anxiety specifically with music can, can be, obviously an extreme impairment if, if it's excessive, but if it's at optimal levels, that anxiety can actually be energizing. Do you feel like you have gotten to a place where you've eliminated the anxiety entirely, or do you feel similarly to what this article found, which is that if you just reduce it to kind of a quote unquote appropriate level, that's where you're able to perform best? Yeah, I mean, okay, first of all, I don't believe that absolutely reducing all the anxiety is actually possible because anxiety, uh, this kind of anxiety is normal, like not excessive anxiety, but, um, you know, a, a kind of, a, like you say, a, a, you know, a base level of anxiety is going to be there because as humans being social animals and we... Um, we used to, you know, it makes evolutionary sense because we used to uh, live in tribes. And if you got chucked out of the tribe back in the day, and maybe in some places even now, you would, you could die, you know, you, you wouldn't survive on your own. So it's normal as humans to think that we, that our survival depends somewhat on acceptance. And that's, I believe, where conformity comes from. So um, to answer your question, 
first of all, um, that's not really possible to eliminate it completely anxiety. But even if, if it was possible, I don't think it would be desirable uh, because then if you are complete, I mean, obviously being relaxed is a good thing, but you need to have a bit of an edge, meaning, um, you know, excitement and and nerves, you know, fear and excitement are actually not are actually not so different. And if you can be a little bit excited um, so that you're present, you know, you're not thinking about something else while you're performing, uh, then you can actually perform at your best. And so it's like finding that sweet spot, if you like, yeah? And, and also reframing that uh, the anxiety as excitement. Um, but there's also something I wanted to add because before you asked me a question, I don't feel I answered it completely. You said, what's some ways to alleviate these? Mm -hmm. And um, in order for me to kind of answer um, properly, I just have to say that performance anxiety, in my experience, comes from two different uh, possible causes uh, that also can be... Um, added together if you like so the, the first cause is simply um fear of rejection and this fear of rejection although it is normal when it becomes excessive can become excessive when we have had some experiences that are that have somewhat traumatized us and, and trauma doesn't have to be something super serious right. but it could be just you know as little as somebody laughing at us in front of the classroom when we are five you know it, it can be that sort of thing that's one cause. Um, and the other one is negative mental rehearsal, which basically means when we are um, engaging in negative self-talk and worrying, imagining negative scenarios of being rejected and, and the like. Okay, And these two things together basically condition us negatively. So it's negative conditioning. Um, much like, you know, the classic conditioning that you might have heard of with the Pavlov dogs. Yeah. So it, because of this, it is subconscious and automatic. So it's not really possible to do much with it if you just work on a rational level. If you just say to yourself, oh, you know, it's going to be OK, but you don't really just, you know, talking to yourself, but you don't look at the underlying causes. So you do not re recondition yourself in a positive way. And that's, you know, when we get into hypnosis, which is a good way of doing this, then you're not really going to change. So the, the two things that work really well uh, in my experience are um, using hypnosis for, for positive conditioning and also mindfulness. And mindfulness, though, it's, I think, is the next, it works well together with hypnosis, but on its own, it can be quite tough to only use mindfulness because uh, if you haven't really dealt with the negative conditioning, then, you know, it, it, it's, it's harder to let go of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's treating the symptoms, not the cause, right? That's, uh, that's kind of the, the way that I would um, yeah, yeah, you're sum right. summarize that. Yeah, it's, um, I think you're right. I think that that negative conditioning and that negative self-talk, those uh, in anything, but certainly I would imagine with performance that can be pretty um, painful and it can really discourage someone from continuing. 
you uh, I want to talk a little bit about the book and and the course and and the podcast. What prompted you to you know decide to essentially share all of that and 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 help people kind of remove their barriers and limitations to performance? What 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 made you want to write the book? Well, so many things, but um, I suppose, as you know, um, I've got two names, right? So um, my, my birth name is Elisa Di Napoli, my uh, performance name is Elisa Lupez. And for many years, I kind of divided my personality in two. You know, I thought, oh, you know, I have to be these two people. And one is the therapist and the other one's the performer. And one is the artist and the other is the coach, you know, and that kind of thing. And then I got to a point that I thought, this is silly you know this is not right uh we are many we have many roles in life but we are one and i want to put these two together and i thought well what do these things have in common you know they, i both love psychology and personal development and i love music and creation and creativity so but what is this what is in common of, with these two things and that's a kind of a um transformation right it's transformation and and going deeper you know going deeper finding the deeper truths in things healing and um and so i thought okay well what is one thing that you know that i have used uh, you know my in my personal development that's actually helped me to become not a better person but you know more um integrated um, and that has and that has been the journey that I've been on, you know, because I've, I've suffered so much with this problem that if that I think you know I it's been almost like a spiritual journey in a way, if you like. When I say spiritual journey, I mean um, I think anything could be a spiritual practice, but what I mean is becoming more aware of my ego if you like you know my um fictitious self um and and actually becoming aware that i am not that and fear you know is obviously normal to a certain extent but excessive fear is more to do with the ego than anything else is you know imagining all this kind of uh, scenarios where we get rejected and, and all the rest of it but at the end of the day these are thoughts just thoughts and for me to realize okay um these are just thoughts this is not who I am I mean that's basically mindfulness when I'm describing becoming aware of of my thoughts and then becoming aware that I'm just the awareness that is aware of the thoughts <laughs> so to speak and so all of this um encapsulates this work that uh, connects on one hand the personal transformation, healing, coaching, helping other people. And on the other hand, it's helping myself, healing myself. And and performance is about being seen. You know, it's about, yeah, about like be, having the courage to be who you really truly are and being vulnerable. Um, so I don't know if I've answered your question. There's so many reasons why I've written this book. No, I think it, uh, it absolutely answers my question. And it sounds like really um, coming to a lot of the things we talked about is kind of this holistic approach, right? It's, it's kind of integrating um, for lack of a better term, it's integrating kind of mind, body, and soul and how to, how to put all of those things together to 
kind of not again not eliminate the anxiety but to to find the place where you can perform in kind of that optimum zone and to even if it's stepping out of your comfort zone or if it is just adding to the the awareness like you said the awareness of the awareness which i really loved i i think that all of that is is again creating kind of that holistic approach to performance and to and not just a performance because also what you're talking about is just in general whether that's music performance or um, storytelling or even in your work life it's really just putting yourself out there kind of front and center absolutely you daring to be seen you know basically saying here i am take it or leave it like it or not you know, I don't need your approval. I don't, my worth as a human being is not dependent on your approval. This isn't even about me. This is not at all even about, you know, you clapping, clapping, saying, oh, well done. You know, that's what the ego wants, but that's not what the, where the joy comes from. You know, the joy comes from being free uh, to, to express who you are through whatever material, whether it's comedy, whether it's music, whether it's, poetry or writing or whatever it may be you know it's about basically it's like deeper than performance the performance is the vehicle for that kind of spiritual development i believe to you know becoming more integrated more you and 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 ultimately more present and joyful yeah absolutely and i think you i think what you're what you're also getting to is everyone has a story and it's helping to tell that in not just the best way, but in a way that is going to kind of create that mindfulness kind of, it, it's almost like a, a mindfulness and awareness cycle is kind of the way that I'm seeing it play out in my head. And um, it's, it's adding to, you know, the, the, the people that are experiencing it as well. And like you said, it's not for them necessarily. Um, it can be, but it is, it's really for you and it's, it's adding to kind of that growth. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the sort of byproduct can be that if you do that truly, um, giving yourself permission to be you, then by proxy, actually, you're a walking permission slip for other people mm. to do that themselves. So you can basically, they can basically see, oh, you know, this person is actually uh courageous enough uh to be vulnerable and to be them uh even if they make mistakes they're not perfect they're not a robot you know oh oh that's okay or maybe maybe i can do that too you know i, I hope that 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 would be an inspiration for others because i think there's this thing about performance right which uh which i think we need to really look at and it's oh, the performer is special, oh, I'm not like them, oh, I wish I could be them. And it's like, yes, you can be them. Anyone anyone can be on that stage, you know, I'm not special, you know, I'm not. Everybody's special and no one's special, you know, sure. we're, we're all <laughs> can be there. And I want to hear other people's expressing their unique self, you know, because yeah. it makes the world a, a more rich place. Absolutely. On the note of that inspiration, what inspires you to continue to uh you know create songs you've you've produced 12 albums but what what keeps that inspiration going for you well you know 
I'm just not happy if I don't do it. You know, if if I I've tried to give it up <laughs> because at some point I, I had some traumatic experiences around it and I was like, oh God, you know, this is just too, it's too hard. And and I tried to give it up, but it, I was, it was painful. It was so painful. It was like a part of me died and and it felt sad. And I thought, no, you know, this is who I am. This is who I am. I have to do this. And, and so the inspiration also, I think, actually comes from practice. You know, it's not very sexy to say this, but I think actually um, since I started doing some automatic writing in the morning recently, you know, before I used to kind of rely on the inspiration oh maybe you know maybe one day i'll have an idea but no uh, or if something was particularly painful then then inspiration would be easy because well i just need to express this pain through my music or poetry or writing but you know these days my life is pretty happy and if i just leave it to inspiration i might not write anything anymore right or or if i wait for something to make me angry you know I, I, well I, I don't know i don't think i want to write angry songs and such so i thought okay no i need to start doing uh, to practice to really put put into practice what i preach and 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 help others with so i started doing some automatic writing which is basically object writing i don't know if you've heard of it but basically what it is is every day i write uh, after breakfast you know i sit down and i pick a word from a book and i just write um for 20 minutes and it's you know, it's not for anyone. It's just for me. It's just for um, for the muscle to kind of work. And it's all around the senses. So I try to, uh, you know, if a song, if a song or a, or a story comes, it's fine. But that's not the objective. The objective is to kind of allow the kind of right brain to start working and uh, and to translate into words the images that come to me. And sometimes if I'm nothing comes I, I might listen to some music that's inspired by the word and I basically just use the senses so what I mean is okay I don't know whatever the word may be uh chair okay chair and then I start thinking okay what do I see here feel uh in my body around this word and um, that's it and then I've I've come I've come um across some bizarre you know uh new ideas just doing this you know so the inspiration never ceases to come if i think you really use the practice for um for letting it uh, arise out of the unconscious yeah i think um you started out by saying it's it's not necessarily a sexy answer but i think that the idea of that constant practice i mean that is something we're taught as as young children right that uh if you if you practice and especially if you kind of can perfect your practice as as much as possible then that is what's going to make um your product whatever that is better right or or your skill or your ability or all of that and so i think that what you're saying is is also um it's it's true of what we see when we try to help people limit the um, uh, painful realities of things like dementia, right? It's making, it's, uh, it's attaching itself to the creative side. It's, it's giving you a reason to kind of go through, you know, uh, to, to go through mental activities and to kind of put your brain through a, a process where you are doing something not only creative, but also that's kind of expanding your mind. 
Yeah, of course, uh, absolutely. And as you will know, um, we whenever we do anything, we have, uh, you know, our brain is firing up neural pathways. And this, I like to think of these neural pathways as actual uh, motorways, right? The more you, or maybe not motorways, because, uh, be, uh, but maybe more like a, a path in the forest that you walk on. And the more you walk on this path, the more well-tread, um, trodden it becomes so it's it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and then it's just really easy to go down that path the more you use it yeah and then if you were to suddenly just not go down that path for many many years well it would get overgrown and then that's kind of what happens in the brain you know the classic use it or lose it yes absolutely i i think your your metaphor is is spot on there and uh, i agree like that that path through the forest is is and it's 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 important to even if you don't do it all the time it's important to take that path to kind of keep it active uh so it remembers not to uh, like you said not to have the growth that comes over it um on the note of the brain i'm curious you mentioned hypnotherapy earlier i'm wondering how you got started in that Ah yes, that's a that's an interesting story. I I um, started well. Um, basically, I was studying philosophy, so I started studying uh, Western philosophy uh, for a few years, and then I thought, wait a minute, um, there's something missing here. Uh, so I started studying Eastern philosophy, uh, which is a totally different discipline, and through that, I got really interested in um, religion and uh, comparative religion at that. So I switched on to comparative religion. And then from that, I specialized in altered states of consciousness and um, with relation to, on one hand, psychedelics, and on the other hand, to shamanism. And so um, through that, I discovered hypnotherapy because uh, in, in the way I see it, Hypnotherapy is a kind of a modern day shamanism uh, that allows you to go into an altered state of consciousness that actually is very common. It happens all the time. It's not even that weird, but we th we may think it is. Um, but it does it without drugs and it does it without, you know, pretty easily. And it's, and it's got nothing to do with... Um, supernatural elements so I thought oh this is it you know this is what I want to explore so that's kind of how I got into it in the first place about 25 years ago I think now wow. yeah yeah that's um I think what you're saying speaks to me also because whenever I have started studying something whether it's religion or philosophy my inclination is also to you know try to see what's going on in, in other pieces of the world and, and to try to put that together I've always been very curious about you know how one side of the world comes up with one thing and one side of the world comes up with a completely different thing or or there are connections but but maybe those connections aren't readily apparent um, I'm curious if you felt like within your own practice if it has stuck more strictly to kind of the philosophies that you've learned through Eastern shamanism, or if there were Western philosophies that you have also um, kind of integrated into that? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Yes. If anything, probably, you know, one of the, my favorite Western um, philosopher is, is Socrates, hmm. you know, because he, not Plato, 
uh, Socrates, <laughs> because um, I really like, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say this in English, I think it's a maieutica in Italian, which I think is basically what it means is the art of midwifery. Mm. And what he meant by that is um, that we, when we get taught something, you know, it's not that the teacher imparts knowledge on us. Uh, what's happening there is that he's, he's like a midwife is getting the learning out of us or he or she is getting the learning out of us. So it's her, she or he is helping us to see it for ourselves. And that's something that hypnotherapy is, is definitely a good hypnotherapist is an artist more than anything else. And he's trying, they're trying to help us as patients or clients to discover our own truth. So a good hypnotherapist doesn't tell you what to do. I mean, a good hypnotherapist could help you by modeling a healthy behavior or a healthy state of mind. But also, at the end of the day, a discovery that you make yourself uh, is going to be a lot more, you know, it will stick for much longer than something someone else tells you. So in that way, that hypnotherapy would be informed uh, uh, more by that in terms of Western philosophy, if you like. But in terms of um, the rest, a lot of, of the way that I uh, operate anyway is informed by more by Buddhism, yeah. you know, um, and modern day Buddhism, uh, Eckhart Tolle, that kind of uh, thinking, if you, if you like, yes. And then, you know, not only, but it's that's something I really agree with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned that, which I think is so relevant to our conversation, but that real hypnosis is also, it, it is art, right? It's, it's being an artist. And, and, and so that plays very well, obviously, into the, the rest of kind of the pieces that we're talking about here. And I'm wondering if there are pieces of kind of your thoughts within uh, performance anxiety and, and, and overcoming that, have there been pieces when you've either learned about or practiced hypnosis where those, those pieces kind of, um, uh, intertwine, I guess. Okay. I'm not sure I understand the question. Sorry. So, so, no, that's okay. Um, I, I don't know that I asked it very well, to be honest. So you mentioned ways that we can, you know, reduce that anxiety. I guess the question really is, did you ever have anxiety with, uh, you know, helping clients through hypnosis? Did you, uh, were there, were there similar ways that you had to push through that as kind of thinking again of that as another art form? Oh, yes. Great question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think every, every hypnotherapist, when they start, they're terrified. They're mm -hmm. like, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Oh my God. You know, I've got somebody else's uh, vulnerable self in my hands. What am I going to do? Uh, yeah. I struggled with that for many, many years as well. Um, but I guess uh, it's about trust, you know, that's the same thing. I mean, anxiety is the main culprit and the main, uh, the main uh, solution for it is trust. Uh, you could say faith, but I don't really like the religious connotation of that. Trust that you can, you can deal with this. Trust that you've got it. Trust that, will, that if you stay present, it, um, whatever needs to happen will happen and you will figure it out. On the, on the go. You know, when I first started, I was so anxious about it that I would write my sessions down. You know, I would write it all down and then, you know, prepare and prepare and prepare. And then, and then it didn't work because the person would come and maybe something 
and they would present uh, themselves with, with something different, something that I hadn't written down, I hadn't covered. And oh my God, what am I going to do now? So that doesn't work. And it's also quite lackluster. Um, you know, when you're really present in the moment, amazing stuff can come out. But you need to be calm. You need to be calm enough. And this is the thing. When you're anxious, if you're having a panic attack, you cannot be present. You're not present. You're in the future. You're in, you, you are in thinking mind. You're lost in your thoughts. You believe in this fictional world of, of uh, you know, threat and, and danger. And it's, it's impossible to be rational. Physically, it's impossible to be rational until you're calmer. So the main thing is that you have to learn how to calm yourself how to diffuse the panic attack if you're having a panic attack. And then what can really help with the, with the uh, uh, you know, with being present is mental rehearsal, but this time positive mental rehearsal. That's basically the opposite. Like you know how to do this already because you do it when you worry all the time, but you are flipping it uh, around. So instead of imagining terrible things happening, you start to imagine the situation going in the way you want it to go. So basically, you know, being present, having fun, that kind of thing. And it, and that's the skill that you learn with hypnosis. Once you've learned it with hypnosis, then basically you're practicing mindfulness in the moment, and it's a lot easier to do that. When you are on stage and that maybe some of that panic starts to creep in, are there ways, uh, are there specific ways that you think you're able to tap into kind of that, that mindfulness, that, um, that positivity, that kind of quell some of that? Or is it, hey, if, if it starts to get really bad, either A, I just have to work through it or, or people are going to, I don't know, see, you know, see the panic attack real time? Well, okay, so there are uh, two techniques uh, that I describe very thoroughly um, in my masterclass, in a masterclass that I do. Um, but uh, very briefly, um, if I can, if I can put it all in one, and you know, briefly in a, in a minute or so, it's all about um, using. It's all about um, switching off the parasympathetic nervous system. And the best way to do that is to, is to switch on. Sorry, I got it. I got mixed up with the words. You've got to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system. And to do that, you have to switch off the sympathetic nervous system. So what does that mean? Basically, when you're panicking, your sympathetic nervous system is on. And if you don't switch it off, no, no amount of rational thinking is going to help. Right. So how do you switch it off? Okay, well, there's two techniques. The first one you can do before a performance. Um, and the second one you can do before a performance and during a performance. It's always better to do this before a performance because then you're more likely to be calm, right? So... Um, the first one is basically, weirdly as it may sound, it's uh, aerobic exercise. So what does this mean? It's like, okay, maybe 20 jumping jacks, going running up and down the stairs. The point is you need to get your heart pumping 
And you need to trick your brain into thinking that you've just fought an enemy because that's what would happen if you were in a real threat. You know, your amygdala thinks you are in a threat threat situation. So you need to trick it into thinking, okay, I wasn't a threat. I fought the enemy. I've won. So aerobic exercise, you could even just dance, right? But it needs to be for long enough that your heart is pumping. Okay. Now, obviously, this can't, is not always possible to do. So if you cannot do this, there's another technique that uh, can be done in conjunction or alone, and that's diaphragmatic breathing. So diaphragmatic breathing needs to be done, though, for five minutes, because if you do it for less, it's not going to work. So five minutes scientifically proven to diffuse a panic attack. So what is it? You need to breathe through your nose, mouth shut, and deep breaths. So you take a deep breath in through your nose. You hold it for just a couple of seconds. And then, very important, as you breathe out through your nose, mouth shut, you allow the out breath to be longer than the in breath. So if you count one, two, three, four in, pause for two, out for at least eight. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's something you can do before. Uh, a performance, the the, uh, um, the aerobic exercise and the diaphragmatic breathing, or only the diaphragmatic breathing, and then during a performance, obviously you you can't just stop a performance to, to jump up and down or, or do some <laughs> some diaphragmatic breathing that that would look really weird. So you can't do that. But what you can do is um, the one breath, one thought technique. So very simple. This is. Even when you enter the stage, you can do this. It's very helpful. But also in between sets or in between songs, you breathe in. Then as you breathe out, you enter the stage. Then you breathe in again or looking at the audience. And then you start talking. Now, when you talk, you just have one sentence per per breath. So what that means is you breathe in, you say one sentence as you breathe out, you breathe in, you say one sentence as you breathe out. So you need to slow it down. So it's the best next next alternative to diaphragmatic breathing, even though obviously you can't do the diaphragmatic breathing because you have to open your mouth, right? Yeah. So exactly what I mean by that. It is. Yeah. I think that's amazing actually like i never would have thought about you know certainly like thinking of the the before doing the the aerobic exercise it makes perfect sense um i'm uh, my, my major was in psychology in college so so you're speaking right to my heart when um and my mind uh <laughs> when we're talking about things like how to trick the amygdala and, and things like that and then and, and the diaphragmatic breathing i mean i've certainly heard that before especially in relation to panic attacks but when you're talking about doing that in the way you can kind of almost again trick your brain i was saying that you uh when you're talking about going on stage and then doing you know doing the work there and the way that you again almost have to trick your brain right this the you're 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 basically making it a scenario where your brain is calming down even though you're in this this heightened situation because of of the performance anxiety but you've been able to slow it down you've been able to you know take your time and and no one's you know no one's uh, any the wiser right they're just seeing you on stage performing you know saying some saying some words and and uh um, you know speaking in sentences before you jump into the next uh, piece of the performance and i, I just think it's brilliant 
Yeah, the other thing as well that really helps me at least, um, and has helped many people that, that, that have told me, is that um, when you catch yourself thinking, whatever the thought is, is distracting you, you know, that thought is not in the present, it's a thought. And it's thinking about the future, it's thinking about the past. So whenever you catch yourself thinking, you're not in the present and therefore you are not connected to the material. So when you, and you're more likely to make a mistake, you're more likely to, you know, not, not do a very good performance. So um, what then you need to do is to just, again, bring yourself back to the, if you if you play music, for example, you know, you notice it, it's like, it's fine. As you know, you, you don't, uh, you know, get angry with yourself because this happened, because, you know, this is what brains do. It's, it's okay. It's normal. But you acknowledge it, it's like, oh, oh, I was just lost in the thinking. Okay, fine. And then you bring yourself back to the music, to the um, the content, the material, right? Because at the end of the day, um, I remember a therapist saying this to me many, many years ago and describing an artist as a hollow reed. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so brilliant. A hollow reed. That's like a conduit, a channel. So it's not about you. It's not about ego. It's about the music or the material, whatever it is that you are expressing. So that's what you need to focus on. So if you're thinking about anything else, then bring your attention back to the material. Breathe, like you, I was describing before, that's going to help you to slow down, reconnect to the material. And in fact, you know, that will help even more the audience to connect to the material as well. Because if you speak very fast, like, I normally do, then sometimes the audience can't catch up, you know, it's too fast. So actually slowing it down, like I'm just doing now, can get people more paying attention more to what you're doing or saying. Yeah, absolutely. You're really, uh, the, especially these last couple of pieces here, really speaking to a, a lot of my experience also just building this podcast. Um, you know, the first thing is that kind of going slow. I am also naturally a, a very fast talker and I've really had to, <laughs> to kind of slow that down. And, um, and I don't think I did that for the first couple episodes, to be honest. And so really thinking about it and, and again, that mindfulness around, hey, what what are we trying to get across and, and how do we want to do this? Like that was something that was really important to me. And then the other piece that you mentioned was just basically allowing um, the, the story to, to come organically. I, I mentioned at the beginning before we even started today that I try to make this as organic as possible. And I, I do have notes and, and things that I like to, to do. And I do like to bring societal context into what we're talking about. And I felt like there were times where I was over-prepared and then not, like you said, prepared to kind of go another direction if someone wanted to talk about something else. And I, I think that those conversations were uh, hindered in some ways because of that. And so I really tried to uh, bring about kind of the organic pieces back into uh, into the conversation. So uh, like I said, I just completely resonate with everything you're saying here. Yeah, I mean, it's like going on a date and, and having yeah. a script. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm not prepared for that question. Yeah. Freaked <laughs> like, out the pro file right you're just going <laughs> check boxes yeah that's, that that's, date that's, is not gonna go well <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> well um as we're wrapping up here uh, just a couple of last questions the first one is really just uh you know we've talked a lot about advice i think a lot of this this whole um 
this whole episode has been about kind of how to overcome these things. But if you had to boil down just advice in, in folks finding bliss within that storytelling and within that performance, how would you how would you advise people to to help find their bliss in that way? I think it's about um, jumping, you know, it's about jumping into the unknown with trust, um, having the, just the courage that being you is enough, you know, to believe that being you is enough. You don't have to be anybody else. In fact, if you try to be anybody else, that's when you're going to fall. Yeah. Um, just jump, have the courage to do it, even though you don't know where you're going to land, because the point of it is not landing. The point of it is flying. Yeah, I, I think that's beautiful. And then uh, last thing is, is there anything you'd like to promote? Sure. Yes, yeah, so I've just um, actually finished um, uh, putting uh, on my website a, a free masterclass that goes into depth about these techniques that I just talked about today. And uh, so if your listeners are interested in that, this masterclass is now live and uh, you can take it for free and uh, there's no catch really. Um, it's uh, tinyurl.com slash dare to be seen masterclass. So tinyurl.com dare to be seen masterclass. And so when you sign up for it, all, all it is, is um, you'll get a bunch of emails um, that explain what to expect. And then you just... Um, and get a bunch of free things that will help you with, you know, with what I have talked about today. And there's some freebies there, you know, some uh, videos with exactly the techniques that I explained and more. That's wonderful. And we'll make sure um, that all of that gets into the show notes. So it's much, uh, so it's very easy to find. And um, Elisa, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, for me to have you on the podcast. And thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you, Thomas. It's been really good for me, too. Great. Well, we'll see you next time on What's Your Bliss. You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at YourBlissPod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me, or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast. Podcast.